The thing about short-term rentals is if you don't live within 65 miles of the place that you're buying, you can do what's called a 10% down vacation home loan. There's a few stipulations to that. It's just a regular Fannie Freddie conventional and it's 10% down. The interest rate is going to be lower than a regular investment loan. But as long as you're not planning to put a contract on it, like a lease or a property management contract, then you are allowed to Airbnb your second home. So that's a really good way to get into investing in vacation rentals without having to spend you know, a ton of money. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Avery Carl. Avery is the founder of The Short-Term Shop, a brokerage that helps clients purchase income-producing short-term rentals. In this episode, Avery will tell us how we should be looking at properties that would perform well as an Airbnb, as well as how to finance them. So if you're interested in purchasing short-term out-of-state rental properties to boost your income, then you need to listen to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, Download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Avery, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Avery Carl. I am the founder of a company called The Short Term Shop. I am first an investor in both long-term and short-term rentals, but I was able to scale my portfolio much more quickly by buying the short-term rentals first. So what I do now is I help other investors get, I'm a real estate agent, so I help other investors get connected with the highest cash flowing properties in the most short-term rental friendly markets in the country and get them ready to to rock and roll and make money on their own with their short-term rentals. Awesome. I'm excited to delve deeply into this topic with you. Do you want to tell us how you got started with investing? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was working in the music business. I lived in Nashville at the time. I was a marketing manager I was making like $37,000 a year. And my husband and I thought, well, maybe we need to buy, we called it a rental property. Like we didn't even know what real estate investing was. And so we just bought one without doing any research or educating ourselves at all. Luckily, it's still our highest cash flowing long-term. But after we got that first check, we thought, oh man, this is something we really actually want to do. So then we started reading the books and listening to the podcasts and educating ourselves on it. And we had pretty much one down payment worth of savings. And we thought, well, how can we best utilize this to make the most money out of it to where we can buy more quickly? And so we thought, oh, why don't we do Airbnb? Because it was kind of starting to be big at the time. But we didn't want to do it in Nashville because the regulations were just way too volatile. So we went over to the Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, which is about three hours east of Nashville, where the Great Smoky Mountains are, because that's a place where people have always rented single family homes rather than hotels. So you don't have to worry about regulations as much. They figured out how to monetize that decades ago. And so we bought one there, quickly scaled that to five short-term rentals within a year. 
and scaled that into 28 doors total. The rest of them are long terms, except for one short term in Destin, Florida. And just continuing to snowball the cash flow from the short terms into more long terms, sometimes more short terms too, but you want to keep the portfolio diversified for sure. That's crazy. How are you able to scale your portfolio to such a large number, especially if you started out with just like a $37,000 job? So short-term rentals make significantly more money than, you know, a comparable long-term. So we just took every cent that we made on our investments and turned around and, and rolled it into the next property. I put us both on like a $20 a day budget, gas included. So we just saved and saved and just put everything we had back into real estate. Were you buying these properties with cash? No, we were putting down just a regular down payment. So the thing about short-term rentals is if you don't live within 65 miles of the place that you're buying, you can do what's called a 10% down vacation home loan. There's a few stipulations to that. It's just a regular Fannie Freddie conventional and it's 10% down. The interest rate is going to be lower than a regular investment loan. But as long as you're not planning to put a contract on it, like a lease or a property management contract, then you are allowed to Airbnb your second home. So that's a really good way to get into investing in vacation rentals without having to spend you know, a ton of money. Can you go more into that? Because I've never heard of this loan before. Like what are the terms? What are the regulations, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. So the terms are pretty loose, actually. So you have to live 65 miles from the property. You can only have one vacation home loan per market. So you can't have two in Pigeon Forge, but you can have one in Pigeon Forge and then one down in Destin, Florida, if you wanted. And you're not allowed to put it with a property manager because that would make it an investment, not a, a second home. And you're not allowed to put a lease on it because that would also make it an investment. But even in the Fannie Mae guidelines, it states that you are allowed to rent it out yourself on Airbnb and VRBO, as long as you're the person who's controlling the property and not someone else. You can't partner with someone that you're not related to on a vacation home loan because then they, they deem that an investment. You can partner with someone who you're related to, but you know nobody that you're not related to. So I think that's those are the high points. And when you buy it, it's under your personal name. Do you ever transfer them to LLCs or something like that? You do have to buy it in your personal name just for the same reason, because if you're putting it in LLC, they're going to assume it's an investment. And then also Fannie and Freddie won't lend to LLCs. They'll only lend to individuals. So you can transfer it into an LLC after closing. Of course, there's that pesky rule about the bank could possibly call your loan due. If you do that, I've never heard of that actually happening, but it could supposedly. But you know, it does whatever your CPA and your attorney says to do with the LLC thing is the way to go. Do they limit you to just four loans and 10 loans like traditional mortgages? Or is there something different because it's a vacation loan? Yeah, it still counts towards your 10 conventionals that you're allowed for Fannie Freddie. Got it. So then how are you able to scale it to 28? So, well, there, I did not use the vacation home loans for all of those. So we got the first one in the Smokies, a vacation home loan in my husband's name only. Second one in the Smokies, vacation home in my name only. And then we have one in Destin, Florida, that's a vacation home in my name only. So we've just kind of finagled that to where we maxed out our vacation loans the best we could. And then everything else, our lender will do a 15% down conventional. So we did 15% down on everything else up until about last year. And then we started just doing 20 to 25% down 20 year notes. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about your business. You have something called the short term shop. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. So when we first started investing in short term rentals, None of the agents that we worked with, I didn't have my license at the time. Nobody could answer our questions about 
how does this work? How much will this property make? How do I manage this piece? And you know, there's a zillion questions that you would have when you're buying a short-term rental for the first time that you wouldn't just on a regular investment. And nobody can answer these questions. And that's seems to be the biggest hurdle for most investors with getting into vacation rentals because it's hard to find your boots on the ground. It's hard to find agents who also own investments and know how to navigate that space. So I became that agent and I started out with an office just in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Now I have another one in Destin and Panama City Beach, Florida, and then I have another one in Gulf Shores, Alabama. We'll probably be expanding to a few other vacation rental heavy markets by the end of the year. So what we do is if investors are interested in any of our markets, they want to buy a property, they use us as their agents, then you know we do the regular agent thing. We help you analyze the properties, make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck in terms of ROI. And then once you're under contract, we will actually help you get your Airbnb and VRBO listings all set up, teach you the tips and the tricks and get you set up with the automation tools to make that easier for you to do. Get you all set up with cleaners and handymen all the vendors that you would need to be able to manage remotely from wherever you are. And then you're off to the races at closing. You're ready to make money. You've got your finished product and you're ready to cash flow. Yeah. It sounds like a really great niche that you found yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, short-term rentals is a hard business if you don't know what you're doing because there are so many moving parts. You know, you really are doing a hospitality business. I have one Airbnb very close to where I am. And even though it's only like a 15 minute drive, I still, outsource that because I don't want to deal with all that headache. So like, what are some of the challenges that you see new people getting into when they first start their short-term rental businesses? So in the markets that I'm in, I also want to preface that I'm in markets where there are more vacation rentals than there are people who live there. So these aren't big metro markets with lots of jobs and neighbors that are going to complain about Airbnbs and stuff. So I'm in markets where it's been the norm for people to rent a single family property on an overnight basis instead of a hotel for decades and decades. So there are more resources like cleaners and handymen and things like that in my markets than there are in metro areas where Airbnb is kind of a newer thing as of the past 15 years. So the biggest thing that I see people make mistakes with is wanting to, thinking that they have to do all this extra crazy stuff to make their property stand out and be so much better than everyone else's. When the reality is these areas are getting 10 to 15 million in some places visitors a year, and they're all staying in short-term rentals. You don't have to do anything crazy to get booked. You're going to get booked just because of the sheer volume of tourists that we have. But a lot of people get caught up in, oh, I want to leave a gift basket. I want to leave them a bottle of wine. I want to do X, Y, and Z. And it's really just creating more work for yourself that isn't necessary. Because I mean, in all honesty, the renters aren't going to, you know, if you leave chocolate chip cookies, they're going to complain that they like peanut butter better. So it's just easier to streamline it and take, you know, remove that little bit of headache from your daily life and just let the business run. Makes sense. Yeah, I get it now. So you're kind of in those vacation spots where people will go all the time, kind of like ski resorts where or like we have some called Lake Tahoe near us. Yep. Similar. Where, yeah. And people go for summer for like the lake and people go for the winter for the skiing and stuff. Yeah, it's a little bit different from what we have here where we are doing it for these like corporate clients and giving them a bottle of wine makes them really happy. And then they use five stars and whatnot. Yeah. Very cool. Now, when we talk about financing, like you mentioned before, short-term rentals do make a lot more than your traditional rentals. But most banks don't count that income. They'll look at what market rates are. 
Have you found a way to you know, overcome that hurdle? Yeah. So in these markets, especially if you use a local bank, they do have to count the projected rent income as, quote, long-term income or long-term rent income and not short-term, but they generally count it very, very high, like a lot higher than it would be if you actually rented it for a long-term because the appraisers know what, you know, what's going on in these markets. They know what the value is of these rentals. So it just kind of works itself out if you use a local bank to the market that you're, you're buying in. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, like I said, I think because most of the homes in your, in your markets are for these like short-term, like that's the main purpose for it. So that's why you can use those, those numbers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Can we go over some deal analysis? Like how would you look at a property and say if it's a good deal or a bad deal? Yeah, absolutely. So contrary to what people probably think when they first start looking around at short-term rentals, rental history is actually not a good way to analyze a property. And the reason that I say that is because rental history is 100% a variable. It's not a control group. So you can have five identical properties that are managed by five different companies, and they're all going to have wildly different numbers just because of the style of management. So it's entirely possible that a property that has 25000 a year in rental history can do 55000 a year if properly managed. So what I recommend people do to figure out what a property is going to gross is there are a few, you kind of have to get several data points and triangulate to a conservative number of what you think it'll do. So what I normally do is AirDNA is a really good source. Their data isn't perfect, but it's a good data point to have because it's cost effective for investors to get. There's there's other data companies out there, but they're significantly more expensive. So I always have them take a look at AirDNA, which is a data scrape of all of the properties that were listed on Airbnb and VRBO in the past several years. So take a look at that and for your market and the number of bedrooms that you're looking at. Also, take a look on Airbnb and VRBO at what your potential neighbors are doing, how booked they are, what their prices per night are. And then also, a lot of the big national property managers are going to have access to data just because they have so much capital. They're going to have access to a lot more data than the little guys, the little local guys. So I also recommend using them to give you projections on potential properties that you're looking at, like Vacasa's one. Evolve is another one. Turnkey Vacation Rentals is another one. So uh, you kind of have to take several data points and take a look at all of them and kind of analyze what the property should be able to do. So basically, you're using AirDNA and these other websites kind of as the way to do comps as what you think you can rent for. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Are there any like, rules of thumb that you like to use? Like, I know on Bigger Pockets, they talk about the 1% rule a lot where the rents should be 1% of the purchase price. Do you have anything like that for short term rentals? Yes and no. So a lot of the the usual metrics that investors measure long-term rentals with don't really work with short terms just because with long terms, the rent is the rent every month. It's never going to change. And with short terms, the price per night is different every night. You're going to make more in one month than you are the next month. So you kind of have to do everything on an annual basis. But you know, it is going to be different every year as opposed to, you know, just a flat line like a long-term rental would be. So What I recommend, what most people look at is cash on cash return. 20% is considered kind of, you know, the line of, is this a good deal or not? But it's entirely possible in the markets that I'm in to get well up into the 40s. Another one that people use pretty commonly in the vacation rental space is the gross rent multiplier. So 15%, if the property will gross 15% or higher of the purchase price, then it's considered a good deal. 
20 to 40% cash on cash return sounds amazing. It's possible. You have to manage it right. I mean, you can't just slap everything up there and buy, you know, a piece of crap property. But, you know, if you analyze right and buy right and manage right, then it's totally doable. Can you give us like an example of a property that could hit those numbers? Like what what would a purchase price be around what market and what would it rent for per night? Well, it just depends. The four bedroom and up properties in most markets are going to have a significantly higher return on investment than the one through three bedrooms. And it really just depends. Like there are in the markets that I'm in, you can get just a meat and potatoes, plain Jane, cute, nice place to stay, but nothing too crazy four bedroom for like four fifty that'll gross you eighty thousand a year. Or you can get a $750,000 four bedroom with an indoor pool that'll gross $120,000. So it's pretty reasonable to expect, again, if you manage correctly and and make good decisions, that you can net 40% of your gross after your mortgage and all your expenses on everything. I'm doing some basic calculations right there. So you can gross $120,000 on an Airbnb rental. Yes. Wow. That's a lot. It's like 330 bucks a night on average. Yeah, yeah. One of mine, my four bedroom with a pool, the average nightly rate in the high season is seven, 800 a night. So these are really, really heavily visited tourist areas. So it's not like, you know, buying a place in, you know, if you live in Atlanta, it's not like buying a place down the street. It's, these are places that are tourist destinations. Which is crazy because some places they rent out their entire like for the whole month for $750, you know? Yeah, I've got places that rent the entire month for less than that for long terms. So can you tell us some of the risks involved with the short-term rentals? Because it can't be that good, is it? Yeah, well, I mean, you're subject to the tourism industry. You're 100% at the mercy of tourism. And I think COVID just, you know, kind of separated, you know, it it knocked the wind out of everybody a little bit in this space. And what we kind of saw, since it seems to be in the rearview mirror for the most part now it's debatable. But what we did see is that the regional drivable vacation rental heavy markets bounced back first because people were dying to get out of their houses. So, but they weren't ready to go to big metro areas where there's a lot of people and they don't want to get on flights and, you know, breathe all over everybody and people breathe all over them. So, but they do want to get out of their houses. So they're driving to the closest vacation rental place they can because they're so sick of getting out of their houses. So the drivable vacation markets seem to be the most recession resistant. Nothing's perfect. I mean, it affected all of us, but those seem to be the most resistant to, you know, whether it's a pandemic recession or like 2008 when people just had less money than what they normally did. You know, maybe they weren't flying to Aspen, but they were driving to the Smoky Mountains or not flying to Mexico, but they were driving to Panama City. So that's kind of what we saw. But I mean, the downfalls are you're subject to tourism. And also you do have to manage people a little bit more than you do with just a traditional long term. Exactly. It's like when things are going really well, the riskier plays like flipping houses or even short term rentals do better than long term. And they're probably more exciting because you're making a lot more money. But when things are going crazy and you're losing money on these short terms, you're very thankful for your long-term rentals because they're stable. Yeah. Yeah. And ours were, and we could have an entire other podcast episode on cash reserves for short-term rentals. But for us, we were able to break even during April and, or sorry, March and April, which are kind of the worst two months of the whole thing by renting to people who lived in 
big metropolitan areas that were kind of close by that they found out, okay, well, we're going to have to work from home for a month. And I live in a small condo or apartment. So they would come rent our places and have more space knowing they were going to have to be in for a while. So we were able to pivot a little bit on that, like just enough to break even, but had it lasted longer, we definitely would have had to dip into cash reserves. But after April, everything just kind of opened back up and everybody was so ready to get out of their houses. I think that, you know, everybody just came back. It was almost like it never happened. That's good to hear. I know a lot of my friends who do Airbnb locally actually got impacted a lot. And, you know, they were looking at you know, tens of thousands of dollars that they lost and have to pay their landlords because they're doing the whole rental ar- uh, rental Airbnb arbitrage method. They don't own the properties themselves. And it was really rough for them because all the corporate clients basically disappeared overnight. And so how were you affected? Was it more that you had to drop the prices or more so that you had no occupancy during those times? A little bit of both. So we dropped prices and, you know, maybe we had one or two, five to eight day bookings rather than you know, being 85% booked with three to four night bookings the whole time. So it was definitely, we would have, if it had gone on another month or two, it would have started to, started to really impact us. But uh, since it was fairly short, we were pretty good. Yeah. Good to hear that. Are there any like lessons learned from this whole COVID-19 economic crisis and how you would change doing your business in the future? For myself personally, I'm a hoarder when it comes to cash reserves and making sure that that rainy day fund is there. So this was a prove myself right to my husband situation where, you know, we planned for the rainy day and we had it there when we needed it. But, you know, a lot of people, they over leverage themselves and they don't save up a cash reserve fund in between purchases. And those are the people that really got their butts handed to them as the people that didn't have that cushion. Yeah, especially when you're just starting your business, you want to grow as fast as possible. So people tend to over leverage or use like, maybe non-traditional, non-QM loans to accelerate their portfolio growth. But then, like you said, when stuff hits the fan, they're going to be in some trouble. Yeah. So what would you recommend as a good safety buffer for your cash reserves? I would recommend at the very least three months of reserves to where, you know, if COVID comes back again and you have to shut down for three months, you're going to be okay. But I mean, six months to a year is really where you want it to be eventually. But I think three is a good amount to get by with. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. Now, you mentioned before that you think for property management on the Airbnb space, it's actually really expensive, right? Like traditional property management will take less than 10% every single month. But for these short-term rentals, because it's more involved, it's sometimes in like the 20% range. And I think you advocate to have the homeowners be their own property managers in this case. Yes. So like, what are some of the tips that you give them to be successful in this property management space? With short terms, it's 100% different than long terms. I would gladly hand my long terms all over to a property manager if I could find one that was good. That's another conversation though. But for short terms, so with short-term rentals, the way that technology is in 2020, there's nothing that a property manager can do for you that you can't do right from your iPhone. It's just the Airbnb and VRBO apps on your phone and they'll send you notifications. A couple automation tools we use your porter, IGMS is another one. It just kind of automates everything, sends canned responses to your guests. And then either a good Google Calendar or there's apps like Turnover BNB to schedule automatically schedule your cleaners. It syncs with your calendars. So you can automate quite a bit. And most property managers, the cheapest one out there is 10%, but they're not full service. It's kind of like an a la carte thing. And I think the cheapest that I've seen anyway, some other people listening probably have some suggestions, but the cheapest I've seen other than that is around 20. 
And at the end of the day, if cash flow and scaling as quickly as possible is your goal and you've got a property that's grossing 50,000 a year, 20% of that is a significant number and can impact how soon you can get your next deal or how soon your cash reserves are built back up. So I really recommend self-management. And there are just tons and tons of automation tools out there that you can just with a quick Google and reading some investor forums that you can learn how to self-manage, I mean, within a day. Yeah. And what about listing it? Like, how do you go about furnishing it and listing it if you live, you know, a thousand miles away? So the markets that I'm in, since everything is and has always been a vacation rental, most of them are going to come furnished. So you don't really have to deal with that. And you just hire a good photographer to take the photos. Most of the, you know, I would budget maybe like 1500 bucks if there's a piece of furniture that is worn out or that you don't like. But with these coming furnished this way, I mean, they come pretty much turnkey. So you can get it up and listed without ever having to come visit. I do recommend coming to visit and spending like three nights in it just so you know your way around your property. So if a guest asks where something is, you know what to say. But I mean, it's totally doable to never see it, to be honest. I don't recommend doing it that way, but it's doable. Got it. And if there are so many vacation rentals in one spot, do you ever worry about competition or oversaturation of the market? No, not at all, because... That's the way that it's always been. It's not like, you know, buying a place in a metro market where there people have always rented hotels. So there were no short term rentals until 2010. And people are buying all of these primary homes and long term rentals and converting them. Those are the markets that are going to get saturated because they're buying product that was not a short term rental and turning it into one. Whereas in the markets that I'm in, everything out here is has always been a vacation rental. Everything out here was developed to be a vacation rental. There's very few people who live here. So it's not that anything new is coming on the vacation rental market. It's just changing hands. Got it. I mean, there's a lot of demand for that specific area for these vacation rentals. That's why you shouldn't worry too much about having too many comp- like too much competition on Airbnb. Right. Yeah. And are you teaching your like uh, your clients on how to create better listings so that you stand out amongst the crowd? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's always going to be those owners that have been around, you know, that have owned their place for 20 years that have crappy, dark, grainy pictures. And so it's really just, you know, I mean, using good marketing skills, you want nice, bright pictures and you want, you know, make sure everything in your listing is spelled correctly. And it gives lots of suggestions on where to go and tells everybody, you know, where everything is in the property. So it doesn't take a genius to cash flow on these things in these markets. Anyway, they're easy markets. Awesome. So I know we went through this all during the podcast, but do you want to give kind of like a, a walkthrough of how the whole process works? Like I'm here in California. I want to start investing in your market with your strategy. What do I do? Sure. So if you called us and said, hey, I think I want to buy a place in Destin, Florida, what we would do is, you know, once we get your financing in order and everything, we'll start sending you the listings that we feel are the best investments. We'll go through some analysis. You know, we're not going to do all your pushups for you. You have to do your own legwork and your own analysis, but we'll say, you know, here, these are the best of the bunch. We'll help you go through that. And, you know, once we decide on one and we get under contract, we'll get you, you know, through all your contingencies, because you don't want to start working on the listing if you don't know it's going to close. And once we get closer to closing, then we'll have a phone call and a screen share, and we'll get you all set up with teaching you, you know, how your VRBO and Airbnb needs to be set up helping you get the automation tools hooked up to those, kind of showing you how to use them and getting you connected with all of our vendors, cleaners, handymen, roofers, HVAC technicians, everybody. 
and just kind of going through how it looks when somebody books your property and you know what you need to say. You know, if a guest says this, then you handle it this way. And then we're always available after closing. You know, if you call us a year from now and you're in a weird situation with a guest and you don't know what to say, we answer the phone. So we're just kind of there forever as mentors rather than just an agent. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And are you trying to branch out to other markets as well? Or are you kind of just staying put with what you have right now? So COVID kind of put a damper on expanding to more markets this summer, but I think we will probably be in at least one more by the end of the year. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that Nashville wasn't a good place to do short-term rentals because they were so strict. Are there any other like things that we need to watch out for when choosing a market? So, I mean, regulations are always the number one thing to check out. I've seen a lot of people, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, oh, you know, I really want to buy a place in Asheville, for example. And well, Asheville has really, really strict regulations. And so you really want to make sure that once you decide, okay, I think I kind of like this market. I think I want to start looking into this. You need to check the city and county regulations before you look at any properties. What are some of the things that people need to look out for in terms of the regulations? So a lot of cities, like take Nashville, for example, when people first started buying Airbnbs in Nashville, you could just do what you wanted. And then it became, okay, no residentially zoned properties, only commercially zoned properties. And then they changed it to, well, only these certain commercially zoned properties. And now the most recent thing they passed, which is pretty scary, is that now the city council members can go into the very few commercial zonings that are left that Airbnbs are allowed and just like take a scalpel and say, okay, you can do all of these other commercial activities. You can own a hotel, but you can't have an Airbnb. So there's a lot of city councils out there that just really don't. And most of them are backed by the hotel lobbyists that just really don't want many short-term rentals around at all. Yeah. And it's kind of scary that city councils can change their mind year over year. So like one year it's good to go. And then next year, sorry, you can't do it anymore. And yeah. And I've had clients. I used to sell short-term rentals in Nashville as well. I got out of that market because of this exact reason where, you know, the developers were building these short-term rental specific condo and townhome developments in the proper zonings. And we would have people get under contract on a pre-construction and they're zoned legally. And by the time it's finished in a year and a half, the zoning is no longer allowed <laughs> and they weren't able to do what they wanted to do with these properties. And it's, it was, you know, a bad situation. Yeah. So what happened there? Were they able to exit or what did they do? They were allowed to exit just because they do mark up in Nashville, the short-term rental properties a little bit more, quite a bit more than just purely residential. So they kind of had to, there was going to be a lot of lawsuits and a lot of bankruptcies over that. So they did let some people out and they think they figured out a few ways to make it where it was grandfathered. If you got under contract during this time on a development that was started during this time, then you can Airbnb it, but the person you sell it to whenever you decide to sell, they can't get a permit. So they figured some things out, but it was a big mess. Hmm, interesting. Well, Avery, thank you so much for everything that you talked about today. Are there any last tips that you'd like to share with our listeners before we end our show today? I don't think so. You asked really great questions. Yeah, I feel like everything that I want to know about short-term rentals was answered. And, you know, I definitely look into the whole vacation rental loans because I've never heard that thing before. And it's really cool to be able to buy that with just 10% down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Avery, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, how can people get in contact with you? They can get me on my website at theshorttermshop.com. Email's right on there. Text number's right on there. So just shoot me a text, shoot me an email, and we'll chat. Awesome. Well, Avery, 
Thank you again so much. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Avery likes to acquire properties where short-term stays are normal. By buying and renting out properties in those areas, you'll be catering to the demand that's already there, and you won't have to deal with neighbors who aren't comfortable with you hosting a short-term rental near their house. By managing it yourself with no long-term lease, you can get a vacation home loan that allows you to only put down 10% for the home. And this allows you to supercharge your wealth by increasing your leverage on a highly cash-flowing asset. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.